Oh boy, Manchester City are now in football purgatory as a bombshell investigation leaves their Premier League future hanging in the balance. Harry Kane puts himself into two record books with one goal and more managerial turnover, this time with that American. We'll get to it and more on the supporter section. Grab your scarves. We start right now. Welcome into the supporter section. I am Cole Carter, and this is episode 56 of the supporter section podcast. Go ahead and leave a like and subscribe if you have not already, because today's episode is going to be a good one. You don't want to miss it. And I have my two good friends with me here today. I have Stephen Curl and Brandon Pacenick alongside me. Gentlemen, it is good to see you. I want to do a little bit of what you're wearing today, Stephen. I see the Milan jersey. Any of a story behind that at all? Oh, you know, just the back of the kit, a little Zlatan Ibrahimovic there for you. Um, it was actually a gift, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm not going to lie. I forgot which one of you gave it to me. It was one of you. Please tell me. I think it was a joint gift, know. wasn't it? think we both pitched in. Okay, well then, well then that makes sense why I wouldn't know. Uh, Zlatan, the go, I love that guy. Um, I always talk about how much I love the Milan kit. Tottenham's playing Milan next week, so I thought I'd sport it. Um, and you know, Zlatan, you know, he's not done. Rumored for a little move to MLS, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm wearing right now. Wow. Brandon, what you got on today? Not much. This is uh, actually a sweatshirt that I made for Reagan and I's is it anniversary. I don't know. Something fun. Um, it's with Flex. German Shepherd. Um, so it's sort of fun. But as far as kits go, you know, my favorite uh, Bundesliga team, Werder Bremen. Um, they're sponsored by Umbro. But did you know, I found out today, and this is, this is why I'm bringing it up. Umbro, the sportswear brand, is owned by Nike. Did you know that? Hmm. Yeah, I knew they story. bought Converse, so maybe it's some like a similar thing where it's like that brand is still their own, but like a subsidiary of Nike, maybe. Yeah, and I think it happened in 2007. I read, so it's been a long time. Interesting, interesting. Um, we speak often times together about going to Ross, going jersey shopping. Well, this beauty of a Tottenham jersey from the Champions League uh, semi-final miracle in Amsterdam. Got this thing for 25 bucks at a Ross that summer after the semifinal appearance. And um, yeah, these things go for a lot of money online. But got this boy. It is in great condition. I love the color of the green so much. It was initially, we definitely had discussions of it being kind of ugly, just kind of strange. But it's grown on me so much. I love this one. Um, ultimately, one of my favorite jerseys I get to wear as a Tottenham fan. Um, but that is neither here or there. We are talking about soccer today, and we're going to begin with our golden scars. Brandon, I'll start with you. This segment kind of is just like kind of the all-star of the week, someone that you saw that impressed you, and there's been someone that's impressing recently, and who is it from Brighton for you? It's Matoma. I mean, if you've been watching the pot or listening, you know we've been talking about him for, gosh, it feels like five weeks now or so, more than that maybe. Um, but... He scores the winning goal again for Brighton this weekend uh, against Bournemouth. Um, that was the final score, one nothing. It was his goal. Um, that is four goals in the last five games for him. He's absolutely fine. His story is incredible. 
and he earns my golden scarf this week. I love that. For me, I've had this guy. I highlighted him last week in the episode. One of those deadline deals that got through. Kaylor Navas, freshly on loan to Nottingham Forest from PSG. Comes up with four saves. Some pretty big ones, actually. One of them definitely saved a go-ahead goal. Um, but pretty much showed he still has that quality. We know he has plenty left in the tank. And even took a boot to the face from one of his own defenders. Um, showing he is still tough as nails. And Nottingham Forest, just so you guys know, have the most points in the Premier League since 2023 has started. So they are in good form. They might be staying up if they continue this run of form. Steven, for you, give me your golden scarf of the week, maybe from a character you wouldn't have expected coming into it. Oh, yes. The bane of my existence, otherwise known as Emerson Royale, is my golden scarf for the week. Um... What a showing against Manchester City. Um, I joked about it with Brandon Nicole before the pod of, uh, before the game of, you know, if Tottenham lose, I mean, City's closer to winning the league. You know, I don't want Arsenal to win the league, but gosh, I was not expecting this result. Uh, a big part of that was Emerson Royale up against uh, the 100 million pound man, Jack Grillish. Not a short task. Did very well. Um, more than kept his own. And a lot of uh, shithousery, as we like to say, uh, with Grillish the whole game. Just chirping back and forth, which I, I love. Uh, Pedro Porro, the signing in for Tottenham. But, you know, Emerson Royale fighting for a spot. I mean, Doherty got his common, uh, contract terminated. And Royale stated his claim of why he wants to be at this club. So I really enjoyed that coming from the inevitable backup at right back. But it was nice to see his best game in a Spurs shirt, is what I would have to say. Absolutely. And what's so funny about him is he's just such a character. I mean, you mentioned his antics on the field, but also off the field, like he gets some flack for it sometimes. But this week, he posted himself getting like a massage or something like that and pronounced himself Royal Zinho, um, gave himself one of the Brazilian nicknames. So I just love he's nothing short of a character and he's always making people laugh. And that's sort of the nice thing about having him on the team. He may not always be a lock on defense, but. He is certainly a clubhouse guy that you want to have around in that squad. Well, this was match week 22 that we're going to cover a bit of Chelsea and Fulham in a London derby. And this one was, I don't know, you guys could say a fair result. Uh, Nil-nil, an even draw. Um, and Brandon, what was really the outcome of this game from your perspective? Well, I think... Uh... What I took away from this game is that the, the January signings were sort of a non-factor in this game. I mean, it's sort of hard to tell. Enzo Fernandez played pretty well, but um, didn't have the the amazing impact that a $120 million signing might have. But he did come in right away, played a solid game. I'm not going to bash him. Um, but um, Mudrik, I, I thought I saw something like maybe he was a little sick or something, but Mudrik was non-existent in the game, an absolute non-factor off the wing. I thought he might have played a, a bigger role. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Havertz playing striker still for some reason. Um, for Chelsea, I guess that's his position now um, forever yeah. and ever until he moves back to Germany uh, in the summer. Um, I, I He missed a Moving pretty good in chance. the summer, wow. Probably. I mean, do you think he wants to be there? Look at him. Um, so I... I really he he had a chance that he took poorly and that would have been like probably the only goal scoring opportunity they had, um, 
but yeah, I, I think if I said too much, let me know. Um, but I can definitely keep going if you want. <laughs> no, go ahead. Please do. Keep going. I like when you talk. Well, well, here's the thing. We made fun of this guy for, for bouncing around <laughs> and, and coming back. And Steve, if you want to say anything about him, you can. But the guy I'm talking about is Willian. Um, Chelsea to Arsenal was horrible. Uh, went somewhere else. I think he was back in Brazil for a period of time. And then mm-hmm. I think Fulham he went to Corinthian, maybe. Yeah, something. And then Fulham signed him this summer. And we're all like, that is one of the worst transfers I've ever seen. What in the world? But he's been so good in every Fulham game I've watched this year, which has been a couple. And he was good against uh, his former team this weekend. So props to Willian for continuing to um, show up at his age. I mean, no one really expected much from him this year, but he's starting and he's earned his starting position at Fulham. And I think they're in seventh still. So absolutely amazing for Fulham. I'll let one of you talk about Tim Ream. <laughs> Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, uh, I'll take that toss up. Uh, yeah, Tim Ream, fantastic this game. Um, had the obvious goal line uh, save um, by the chance of who's who's it that shot the ball? Do you all remember? Chelsea had a chance late in the game to to have the decisive goal. Uh, Tim Ream clears it off the line like the goat that he is, and people are starting to realize that, wow, Tim Ream was almost less off this U.S. men's national team roster. That's crazy. Um, he's been in fantastic form for Fulham, and a huge part of this team uh, staying at the top half of the table in which they are. Uh, go, go, USA. You could argue kind of him and Anthony Robinson uh, – the not super sexy U.S. men's national team players that have actually been in consistent form in the Premier League. Maybe not your Aronsons, maybe not even your Adams at times of time um, around the world. But yeah, Anthony Robinson and uh, Tim Ream uh, specifically uh, shining bright over there in uh, London. They are shining bright, Tim Ream especially. But does this kind of prove that the table is sort of evening out of where it needs to be? Chelsea sitting ninth. Fulham are now eighth ahead of them. Um, are things starting to kind of even on and potentially become clear as to how it'll end out this season, Brandon? Ooh, at the top, no. And at the bottom, definitely not. I mean, I think I think everybody's earned where they are right now, definitely, halfway through the season. So I, th- I think that's right. So maybe I guess, yeah, I guess the answer is yes. I just took a big circle there, but yeah, the table is correct. <laughs> it's shaping up. Steve, do you, do, you, do you think that these signings won't be able to create any sort of comeback for Chelsea in the second half of the season? I mean, I think, hot take here, but I mean, you have the huge signing at Enzo, but I don't think the signings make that big of a difference. It's not like Chelsea was uh, barren of talent in their squad, right? Like, they've had this depth for a while now. To me, it's been coaching. I might be wrong. Um, just to have somebody at that position for a long enough time to implement uh, play styles. Who's in favor with manager? Who's out of favor with manager? We're just now starting to get that with the likes of Pierre Mikabamiang, uh finding himself on the outside looking in. And if that's a consequence of signings coming into this team, then that's good for Chelsea. Um, but I don't think the signings themselves, I don't know if that makes sense, have uh, 
a ton of things to really add to this team. Like, ZH is good. Like, he almost went to PSG, but now he's still in the squad. Like, you can make your arguments here and there, but Chelsea has an insanely talented, I'll say 22, not starting 11. They have insanely talented 22, um, to which they got to figure out who's playing, where are they playing, and who's on Potter's good side. Uh, And this past performance against Fulham was not a good indicator. So the sooner they get that right before Champions League, the better. That's a great point. I like what you have to say. Uh, A team that has struggled to figure things out Struggled even more against a lower half side. I'm talking about Leeds United. They took on Nottingham Forest, and it really just did not start out well. In the first 12 minutes, Leeds, they give up a foul in their own half and give up a goal to Brennan Johnson, who, when Leeds was unable to clear the ball out, takes the ball on the volley, puts it in the left corner beautifully to put up Nottingham Forest 1-0. Up to five goals in the season. So this guy struggled. I mean, maybe not struggled, but is just finding more and more form as the season goes on. And as I mentioned, Kaylor Navas coming in from PSG certainly had to have been the man of the match. Just one of the great 30 signings that Forrest had made, which, I mean, my goodness, that's just so many. The fact that um, 30 is even a number is just outrageous. I mean, we did say that Jesse Marsh would be on the hot seat potentially if Leeds didn't get any sort of results, score some goals, and they just showed a real lack of quality. And that did show to be the end of the line for the American Mandra. His time at Leeds has come to an end. Oh, man. Guys, it's, it's really such a strange situation. He, I think, managed a club for 37 games. I want to say such close to a full season. It's 38 games in normal Premier League season. Um, I mean, what is next for Jesse Marsh? Is, is he now the no-brainer for the national team that this gap is still left? Um I want to ask that question first, and I'll have another one after it. I'll start with you, Stephen. Um, what's next for him? Is he really going to be a candidate, you think, for the U.S. men's national team? Uh, short answer, yes. He has to be a candidate for the U.S. men's, US men's national team uh, head coaching position. Um, I, I think you've seen him bounce around a little bit these past couple years with um, Salzburg and then going to Leipzig and him relieving him really himself of those duties there and this Leeds thing. It might be time to slow down a little bit. Maybe this U.S. men's national team coaching job is exactly what he needs to showcase what he can do. Um, no pressure on qualifying. Uh, you're hosting the World Cup. You're looking for stability if you're the U.S. Soccer Federation of the absolute shit show that's going on right now at the men's level, I should say, <laughs> not the women's, but. Uh, yeah, to me, it's a no-brainer. Uh, if you're not going to go with Greg, it's a no-brainer. Um, this is not an attractive program. This isn't the Usman's national team episode, so I'm going to cut myself there. Uh, but as far as other club coaching jobs, I don't see, especially in the Premier League, obviously, uh, anything really lined up for Jesse um, abroad. Nothing really comes to mind. So I think it's time to take stock. Um of your last two jobs, what's gone wrong, what's gone right. Uh, a weird firing, but um, yeah, I think it's going to be some time for Jesse Marsh to, to sit and marinate on his future. Brian, do you agree with Steve? Uh, yeah, mostly. I, I think um, wrongly fired. I, I just don't understand it. After breaking your transfer record uh, fee and bringing all these signings that, you know, this I think this is the second window or maybe third window for Jesse Marsh. So you see what he's building and it's not just me saying this, like 
these are prof- other professional athletes out of the game and you know saying that this lead team is good they play great football they're building something they're just not there yet and in my rant a couple weeks ago like I, I sort of said the same thing it's just like they're building and you have to have that foundation to grow you've seen it with arsenal it's a perfect example they finished eighth two years in a row and now they're probably going to win the title so it's like not that Leeds would do that, but the fact that they were sort of on that trajectory, arguably, um, like the idea of it is is just a little confusing. But nonetheless, he is gone. He will be a candidate and a top candidate for the U.S. men's national team. Um, but I think he would – if I was him, I would try to get another club job. I would not step foot in the U.S. men's national team realm. I would go back to Germany or somewhere else because – he can coach. He's a better coach than Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard. He won't get that respect like they do, but he's a better coach than them. Um, so he'll I, he'll definitely find a job. I hope it's not with the U.S. men's national team. I hope it's with a different club team and he has success elsewhere, but um, wouldn't be awfully mad if it was with the U.S. That's fair. I mean, you mentioned and hit it at a little bit of those signings and such. I mean, he just brought in Weston McKinney, and we have these Leeds United States of Aronson, Adams, and McKinney. And Steve, so for you, I mean, if I'm Weston McKinney, I just came into this team, what do I think of this? Am I now concerned about the future of, you know, where am I going to play next? I mean, I can't go back to Juventus. They're going to probably be in big trouble. Don't want to stay at this Leeds team now without Jesse Marsh? Here's the thing with Weston. We forget his humble beginnings at Schalke, uh, the team that ended up being relegated when he transferred away from this team. I don't think this bothers him that much as a professional. This is a lone move for Weston. Um, the obligation to buy is only if leads stay up. So if I'm Weston, I'm not worried about playing championship football next year. Um, I'm worrying about increasing my stock value, my contract for my next uh, long-term deal I sign. And it's it's premature, like Brandon said. Weston McKinney not fit to just come off the bench as a sub this past game. Um, not fit to start, but um, just transferring into the team. It's a little bit mature, but if I'm Weston, I'm not super worried. I'm still playing with my boy Adams in the midfield. Uh, best part of the U.S. men's national team at the World Cup, are, like easily, was the midfield. Uh, two out of the three comprised of Adams and McKinney. So... I think he has a lot to bring to this Leeds team. Uh, this is a man that's not foreign to the bottom of the table, again, with Schalke. Um, and I think he'll perform. I think he's excited to be there, lone move, low stake. You're not going to be playing championship football, so you have nothing more to give than your absolute best for Ellen Road. I like it. I like it. Well, there's a club that's unfortunately becoming more and more familiar with the bottom of the table, but they got a little bit of a boost this week, and perhaps... Dare I say, the shock of the year so far, Everton. They stunned Arsenal, the top club in the Premier League, 1-0. Brandon, give us a rundown of what happened in this one and really what happened in this game and how Arsenal came falling down. Yeah, one nothing to Everton. You know, definitely the shock of the year. I don't think we really thought this was possible. I think the best, like I said, the best they could do was a zero zero draw, <laughs> which was I was close. Let's be real, I was, I was close there. Um, I was but, saying, I was saying the new manager bounce could be a real thing, and it came true. It came true. Yeah, and you know, Dyche is, is <laughs> he's the man. He is the man, obviously. Uh, but yeah, and Ketia, 
misses the the maybe the best chance of the day for Arsenal uh, midway through the first half. He's in like the six yard box and shoots and just blasts it wide. I don't know how he did it, but um, yeah, really, really bad miss. If you go back and watch it, um, Everton should have scored in the 32nd minute. Um, Onana pounces on a bad pass, then drives into the Arsenal box and puts one on a plate for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, who for the life of me, I guess just doesn't get there in time. He just misses it. I don't know. Easy goal just doesn't get scored. Um, and then Saka sort of responds with a shot of his own down at the other end. Has it cleared off the line? Uh, that was in the 39th minute. It was, it was a decent chance. It wasn't like, oh my God, I can't believe it was cleared off the line. It was just sort of like, oh, okay. That was the defender was doing his job. Um, but then right before at half, Calvert-Lewin had another decent chance um, where he, the ball gets crossed and he heads it from like eight yards out and it goes wide. Uh, but they go into the break level. Um, the lone goal does come finally in the 60th minute from a corner, of course, because you know Everton are probably not going to score from open play with Sean Dyche at the helm. So, of course, the two ex-Burnley boys linking up again, Dwight McNeil <laughs> taking the corner, crosses it to James Tarkowski at the back post. Great set-piece routine, to be honest. They almost scored on an earlier one. Um, that one goes in in the 60th minute. one nothing Everton. And then Arsenal, as you would expect, take decent control of the game, but Everton's defense completely limited Arsenal's arsenal, <laughs> if you will. Um, so I think they had, like, two chances the, the rest of the second half which I was really, really surprised about. I, I was really expecting Arsenal to just sort of take over after that point, but Arsenal never shifted that gear that, that they've been on all year. So I was, I was really, really surprised. Um, but yeah, that's basically how the game went. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's really a, it really is going to be a big deal. I mean, when you start calculating points at the end of the season, these points are going to be massive from now on that Everton can get. So the fact that they didn't just get it from Arsenal. I mean, they, the fact that they're getting any is massive. So it's massive for Arsenal because now the title race can become a little bit tighter. And we'll talk in a second of why it didn't turn out that way. Um, but it's huge. Um, and now we talk about Everton with Sean Dyche coming in. Is it now a foregone conclusion that they will stay up? Um, for me, I mean, I, I believe in Sean Dyche that much. I do think that they will. I don't want them to go down. But Stephen, if you were an Everton fan, are you thinking this man is going to save our club? I'll tell you what, if I'm an Everton fan and I just took down the number one team in the league um, at home, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good right now with Sean Dyche. Um, yeah, I mean, the expectation has to be to stay up. It It's hard to have a high opinion of your club when they're just not playing to the historical capabilities of the club. Um, even the current reality of this Everton team is way more talented than the relegation zone um, right now. So, yeah, if I'm an Everton fan, I got to be buzzing, uh, taking down a win against um, Arsenal. And even going into this derby coming up over the weekend is, hey, look at the past form. One game, we're at a win. Liverpool's at a loss. That's the kind of mentality you have to be thinking about as an Everton player, as an Everton supporter, if you're attending these games. Um, you have to believe that you can get a result no matter what, and you just proved it by taking down the best team in the league. Brandon, I know last season, Everton, obviously, they were in relegation battle last season under Frank Lampard, and when they 
stayed up. I mean, there was fans in the seats for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, just chanting Everton, um, so many different things of just singing songs and whatnot. And I, I'm wondering, is it really going to be that much of a mentality shift? I've even heard already that he's been banning snoods and like beanies in practice. Um, is Sean Dyche really that much of a difference maker? Will he just change the entire culture of this club? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you see, the, I don't know if you saw the videos of him walking out to the first training where he's in shorts and a t-shirt and it's freezing outside, uh, making him do the the bleep test like we all did in elementary and middle school and PE. Like first day he was doing that. So I think that's an immediate culture shift and um, he's going to change them. He's going to change them for the better and going to make them grind out results. He's going to make them hard to beat which is really all they need. They're a good enough team to stay up and be in this Premier League. Um, the way they were playing, they did deserve to go down. Now, especially with that performance this weekend, definitely not. I think Sean Dyche will be their savior. And honestly, I have that their their song that they sing in the stands in my head like all the time. I'll just like randomly <laughs> sing it. So. They're doing a good job with me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. You know it. Love it. um well i guess on the flip side there was the team that were total underdogs that came out on top um we've had arsenal who have been top dog the entire season we've reached the halfway point is it now time that tipping point comes into effect where arsenal become a little bit inconsistent and let teams like man city man united newcastle back into this title race guys are we gonna start to see them falter a little bit brandon you know, I, I have. Uh, I'm not really sure where I stand on this because you think of towards the end of last year, uh, and Arsenal sort of crumbled, right? They just sort of fell away. But they were really inconsistent all of last year. Three wins, two losses, a draw, three wins, three losses, like that sort of weird pattern. Um, that has not been them this year, though. So the fact that they've lost, is it two in a row now? Um, because they lost to Man City last weekend, and now Everton, Man City in the cup game, which is different, but right, two, two, one league loss, but two losses as far as game back to back games go in a row. Um, I just wonder how that'll they'll play in their heads because they haven't lost this year, and they lost a good. Their first loss was against Manchester United, their only loss, and it was a really good game. So I. Um, I'm interested to see if they start to fall away a little bit, like if if they just start to crumble a little bit, because their performance against Everton was not good by any means. It was just fine. It was basic. Um, not the the Arsenal that we're used to seeing. So I'm interested to see where it goes from here. I'm sure they'll be fine, but I'm interested. Yeah, I mean, they have a game in hand right now above Man City. Um, so they sit at 50 points, and Man City sit at 45 points. So let's just say even if they get a draw against Brentford, that six-point gap, um, decently sizable if you're consistent, like we've talked about them being. But yeah, if they start to falter a little bit, I mean, that can quickly, quickly dwindle and dry up real quick, and they could be in some serious danger. So we'll have to see um, what Mikel Arteta has in Sorfus Club if he's really become a top-class manager that can, you know, ride out an entire season, or if, yeah, he still has some stuff to figure out and see if that consistency will um, falter a bit. So... It will be awesome to watch. This is why we love the Premier League, because anything can happen. Um, for all we know, Newcastle could find their way up. 
or Man City could become champions for the third time in a row. We'll have to see. Uh, but in the event of what happened this past weekend, Man City looked like champions. No, they didn't at all. They looked horrible uh, relatively to how they have been because Tottenham at home defended it well. Man City have not scored at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in the five games that they have played there, including the Champions League, and this game was no different. No Antonio Conte, no problem for Tottenham. With Spurs, his the manager was back in Italy, had a gallbladder surgery, so Christian Stellini led Tottenham for the second time this season. And the going got yeah, the scoring got going in the 15 minute um, when Tottenham's press on Rodri, who has been a little bit out of form recently, um, was put under pressure from Pierre Emil Hoybier, and that became a game-changing moment and a historical record-breaking moment for Harry Kane as he scores, puts the ball in the back of the net, and scores his 267th goal in a Tottenham shirt. Um, I'll get to the history of that in a moment. Um, and City's their best chance came right before the halftime whistle in the 46th minute when Riyad Mahrez hits the crossbar on a volley. Really the closest they came um, here and there. They're sort of knocking, but nothing was as clear a cut chance as that one. Uh, Eric Dyer did make a decisive block on a Julian Alvarez shot that came off a Kevin De Bruyne free kick. Um, Erling Holland almost non-existent in this game. That's sort of a talking point. Uh, but Steven, you mentioned earlier the scarf of the week for you. Emerson Royale really had a really awesome game, especially to his uh, past performances. New signing Pedro Porro on the bench, putting some pressure on Emerson Royale to perform and kind of fight for his spot. Um, and so kind of put out a man of the match performance as voted by the fans. So now is there a controversy at right wing back? There's a performance against City keep his spot in the squad. We'll have to kind of see, especially with Champions League coming up. Um, will Poro get his chance against Milan? We'll have to see. Um, but as I mentioned, Harry Kane's 267th goal for Tottenham, passing Spurs legend Jimmy Greaves. Greaves had his record stand since the 1969-70 season, and unfortunately he did pass away in 2021 at the age of 81. Um, so he didn't get to see Harry break the record, but um, an incredible achievement for Harry, um, especially coming on the fact that he did it in a much uh, quicker fashion than Jimmy Greaves did. And he also, in his 304th appearance in the Premier League, saw him join the exclusive 200 goal club alongside Alan Shearer and Wayne Rooney. Um, Those guys did it in a a lot longer of a time than Harry Kane, just to say the least. Um, So he's only the third player to reach that mark. And my question for you guys is, with a significantly quicker pace than Alan Shearer and Wayne Rooney, at this point, he's only 60 goals behind, and he's only 29 years old, Stephen. Should we be expecting Harry Kane to break the Premier League scoring record? Cole, I love you so much. <laughs> and because of that, I'm I'm going to act like this is a question. Um, of course he is. It's I'm more certain that I'm going to wake up tomorrow and the sky is blue than Harry Kane will be the all-time Premier League goal-scoring record uh, holder. He's not going abroad. He's staying in England. If he is going somewhere, it's the likes of Manchester United. Um, so yes, in short, to not uh, go into it a lot, yeah, the man's incredible. He's the best number nine in the Premier League, um, I think even with the likes of Holland, has been for a while now. So, yeah, he's he is absolutely sensational and pivotal to Tottenham um, being where they are currently on the table. Absolutely. Brandon, is, is it all but sure at this point? 
Yeah, I just I hope his uh, ankles um, stay stay in one place. I think he has a couple ankle injuries in his in his history, but yeah, he he's just a phenomenal striker. He he can do it all at this point, and he's he just can. I wanna I wanna know his assist number too, because I know that's pretty high as well. Like he can just do it all, man. He's phenomenal, and I think the relationship with um, Hyungman's son is is great too, and has helped him. Um, become the striker that he is now, which is sort of sweet. You know, this two guys sort of growing up together in this team. Um, yeah, man, he's I, – I think he'll break the record. Um, I think what it's – if he plays three more seasons, it's averaging 20 goals a season. If he plays a fourth, you know, then it's less. So it's like I think he can uh, – I think he can definitely beat Alan Shearer's record. Well, then, yeah, you mentioned that relationship with Sonny. They'd already broken the record for the most goal contributions to one another, the most goal involvements, um, as well as a part of this 200-goal club. He's the only one that's done it with one club, so pretty significant for Harry Kane getting yeah. it done. Um, but on the significant side of things, Man City, they have found themselves in a bit of drama, and as I mentioned in the intro, a bit of football purgatory. This is a very big story, potentially, as Man City has been charged by the Premier League for financial breaches during the 2019 to 2018 time period. So, as a recap, they've won six Premier League titles, which, my goodness, uh, two FA Cups, six uh, Carabao Cups, three Community Shields, plenty of run-ups in all these other tournaments, no Champions League titles, notably. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, there's a lot of different things that have been going on in this situation, um, they did release a statement to the club saying that they were surprised by the issuing of these alleged breaches of the Premier League rules, particularly given the extensive engagement and vast amount of detailed materials that the EPL has been provided with. The club welcomes a review of this matter by an independent commission to impartially consider the comprehensive body of irrefutable evidence that exists in support of its position. As such, we look forward to this matter being put to rest once and for all, so a little bit of just kind of deflecting on Man City side, uh, but Brandon, some of the ramifications, some of the potential punishments of these financial breaches are very, very serious if they are to come to fruition. Um, give us a little bit of a rundown of what those punishments can be, and then we'll kind of dive into a discussion of what we think about this situation and maybe what we predict might come out of it. Yeah, sticky situation. Um this is per Sky Sports. Um, these, these are the potential punishments. Um, so, one, suspended from playing league matches. Um, two, points deductions. Three, league matches being replayed. That would be weird. They can hardly fit in <laughs> games now. Could you imagine yeah. playing a full eight seasons again or something? That would be so stupid. But that's one of the options. Um, the league can expel the club. So I don't know if that means relegation or they're no longer allowed in the FA system. I have no idea. Um, and a couple other ones. Um, they can cancel or refuse registration of players. Sort of like, I guess, how Chelsea got that transfer ban. Um, was it a year ago now? Two years ago? Whenever that yeah. was. was um, wow. Um, conditional punishments, order compensation, um, 
order the club to pay costs, whatever that means. That's sort of general. And then (laughs) the last one is make other order as it sees fit. So whatever they really can come up with, I think they could, they could put on them. So yeah, those are the potential punishments for Man City. Wow. And so what is interesting to me and (laughs) this doesn't feel like it comes as any surprise, right guys? And we had, I think it was in 2020, um, I think it was 2020, where they had that whole situation with UEFA potentially being banned from Champions League due to financial fair play. Um, essentially, what has come out from what I understand is that Man City have been faking their finances. So back when Mancini, Mancini was manager, when they first won the Premier League titles, um, they essentially were giving him money that weren't on the official books. Um, sponsors that were operating out of post office boxes, um, not real companies, basically just flooding this team in with money that was not coming from uh, real sources, you know, officially. Um, and so, yeah, they've essentially been financially doping. But a situation like this, I don't believe has been seen in the English game. We've seen Juventus with a massive punishment in the past and even might happen again to a sort of similar thing what's happening with Man City as far as finances go where they actually were relegated from Syria. So it's so it's just we have no idea what's going to happen because with that UEFA case in 2020, they were just given a slap on the wrist and said, yeah, you can continue to play Champions League football. You might get like a $10,000 fine, whatever it actually was, you know. But uh, is this going to be a replay, Stephen, of that same um, report from 2020 to UEFA? Or do you think this actually might be the time where – the FA and the Premier League come down hard on Man City and really do give them a real punishment. Premier League is a lot of what was time stamped in the UEFA uh, investigation was time stamped as too late or not as evidence. Um, but the Premier League is able to go as far back as they like with their evidence which, uh, to my knowledge, is different than the UEFA investigation. So they can call on past sins, to which as the UEFA investigation, I believe, is more limited. Um, and, yeah, you're talking about these first league titles that are going on, and these league titles don't happen if the coach is not the coach, right? Like, it's let's be real. Um, so it's a very interesting. That's why I actually expect uh, punishment to be dealt out, which we'll get into in a little bit of what we think is going to go on. But I, I do think punishment will be dealt out. Um, it sounds like all hands on for this investigation from the premier league. Um, and they really want to get it right. Uh, allegations like we talked about last episode of, uh, La Liga coming out and just criticizing the premier league. Like, the Premier League knows that they have to get this right because um, they do not want to be seen as a fixed league. This is the most profitable league in the world. So that's why I think they're really going to uh, get this right, do their due diligence. I hope maybe this is just me having faith in sporting organizations and humanity, which uh, is probably not the best idea. But, thing. but I really do. I do think that there will be a punishment handed out. Um, I would like to see a relegation from the Premier League and barring from um, domestic cup tournaments to make sure that they do not qualify for European football um, in winning the thing of like an FA Cup or a Carabao Cup. Uh, I think they need to be financially punished with a relegation. I don't think that'll happen, but who knows at this point. It's But it's not lost that these are pretty serious um, allegations um, and infractions, over a hundred of them. Um, so it's, 
curious to see what happens to the to the league champions. Yeah, and Brandon, if, if I'm not mistaken, this also is peculiar timing on the Premier League side because this, this is their own investigation, but this is coming right before, I believe, an independent investigator was set to do something with the Premier League. Am I right on that? Uh, I think that's right. I don't know the full details of that, but I did see that today. Um, so it, it is very timely, I guess you could say, that they're they're cracking down. But not just timely, and I know it's they're not pulling this out of their, their butt. It's, it's been a four-year um, research project, basically, for the Premier League on Manchester City. Um, there's also, from, from what I've heard and, and read, um, rules for their, their, um, court, they, they can bring, um, yeah, time doesn't matter. So they can bring things from 2009 or before, you know, there's no time frame that they have to, um, use or be within also the validity of stuff. They have to bring valid things in, but for proof against, uh, Manchester city, I don't know if you guys remember those emails that were hacked, but I think it was like a Portuguese hacker um, that basically started the the UEFA um, investigation and, and investigation of other clubs as well. Um, that sort of kicked off this whole thing of, oh, is Manchester City cheating? Like all this stuff. Anywho, so basically if the Premier League wanted to, they could bring those back into the court, which um, they weren't able to do in the UEFA situation. So – um, yeah, another interesting thing is that, that I read is that the premier league, um, because they're bringing them to court, it doesn't go to the, it, they can't go to the court of arbitration. Um, is that what it's called? What is it called? Yeah. The court of arbitration for sport, which is what happened in the UEFA case. Remember they got retrialed and then that's how they got the, the what $3 million fine or something stupid. Um, that won't happen again, from my understanding. So Manchester City won't be able to appeal and go to a secondary court. Um, so it's it's really, really interesting um, as far as the Premier League side of it. But it seems like they've done the due diligence, right, to, to research all this, have evidence enough to come up and say, yeah, our biggest team, our maybe not the biggest moneymaker, but one of them, is is cheating and we're going to take them to court for doing so it's it's, it's really really interesting um i could probably keep talking but i'll let you take take it back <laughs> whatever no i mean it is it is all very insane to me I and mean, it's just like for one the uefa case was so blatantly obvious but i guess the whole time thing put a wrench in those um plans and investigation but it just seems like again it's just so plainly laid out these lawmakers and people whoever it actually is to see that they have been cheating that they have been using funds that are not following alongside the rules that the premier league and the fa have laid out for them to abide by so in that case yes they should be punished there should be a punishment that makes them feel it more than just a slap on the wrist they need to feel the brunt of financial loss they need to feel it in the fact that they're not playing in the big competitions um, and I think that'll weed out a lot of Man City fans. We accuse them of having plastic fans often. I think we'll see the ones that probably were there before 2012, whenever it was, and the ones that are going to be there after what we might have this demarcation point of 2023. It might weed out some fans who actually want to go watch championship football, if that's the case, right? Um, 
and it's these owners that have come in and been a little bit shady since the get go. And um, I think at this point, there's just no denying it. Having these long term investigations come to the surface like this just shows that there is no more hiding from it. And if I think globally, if these leagues want to be taken seriously about fairness, fair play, all that stuff, this will be, I think, the case that shows whether they actually believe that or not. And as a soccer fan, like, this affects our teams. I mean, Stephen, this affects us as Tottenham fans. You know, a year ago, two years ago, whatever it was, the week that Jose Mourinho gets fired, we had this whole Super League thing. It also happened to be the week that Man City beats us in the Carabao Cup. Technically, a cup like that can now go to Tottenham because Man City won it unfairly. So it does affect all these different clubs. It affects Aston Villa, Brandon. You guys have had a chance against Man City in the cup final. Um, it just shows that corruption either is going to continue to win or it's finally the chance for justice to be served. And I hope as a football fan, as a, someone who believes in justice, whatever, that it needs to be served if all these things are true. And it seems at this point that the research has been done, the facts have come clear, and that they deserve some punishment. Um, I I hope that it's serious. Um, Brandon, if you had to pick a punishment, like kind of what you hope and think it will be, where do you land amongst the options that have been available? Yeah, I think... Um... I, you know, I don't know. I really don't know. Realistically, I don't know what will happen. I, the, the statement seems, and it's a very similar statement to what they put out in the UEFA case, Manchester City, that is. Um, they're very confident. They're like, yeah, come on. Bring your lawyers. Come look at our stuff. We'll go. We'll do all the processes you want, and we'll win. It's so, it's eerie almost, right? Like, it's almost like they yeah. they, they know they can get around it somehow. Um, you know, whatever. So I don't know if anything will happen, but I think I'm, I think I'm with Steve. I would like to see them like banned from, um, English competition, like, like the, the cups and, and whatnot. And maybe, um, like a, I don't even want to say a debt, definitely like a transfer ban. Um, and a relegation is that too much though see that's the thing i don't know what's too much but think about how much money they've made think about how if this comes to be true think about how much money they've made and how much money they've taken from people because of others not you know making it that far so that's champions league not making it that far what um fa cup um carabao cup the league i mean think of all all this money that they've stockpiled because of these wins it's it's crazy. So I think whatever punishment they do decide, it, it has to be a big one. It can't be like the MLB Astros one where they slapped them on the wrist. It can't be like the UEFA one um, where they with Man City where they slapped them on the wrist. It has to be a big statement case, like you said earlier. So um, whatever that means, I think that's definitely a relegation, transfer ban, and maybe even um, they lose their trophies as well. I, I, I don't know. I'd like to see that, though. If that's the case. Yeah, I think that's I think that's where things need to land. And I mean, you mentioned the financial part of it for other clubs. I mean, if all this is true, they've been doing it for a decade. That is a lot of money. That is a lot, a lot of, of missed money. opportunities for money with clubs, um, and so on. But speaking of time, 
to kind of give some expectation, uh, this certainly will not be coming down anytime soon. Um, I mean, as you mentioned, their, their lawyers at Main City are going to be ready. Um, they have the finances to hire as many lawyers as they want. Um, so this case certainly will drag out, I'm sure, for a period of time. Um, we may not even see it happen in 2023. We may not no. see it in 2024. Obviously, I am not any sort of expert, but um, this is not just going to be coming down anytime soon. So we will have to temper some expectations of any sort of result. And um, I'm sure Man City's operations will continue as normal for the time being. Um, as long as they continue to be in the title race, they might even have a chance to have a controversial title in the 2022-2023 season. So definitely a massive mix-up for City fans and the like in the Premier League. A very, very crazy situation. But for us, we're going to move on to Match Week 23 on the other side of Manchester where United plays Leeds United. And they actually have the chance to play each other twice in one week. Um, one is the Match Day 8 reschedule, I believe, from when the Queen passed um, a lot of those games are postponed, so I believe now they're finally making it back up. And since being back in the Premier League, which was in the 2020-21 season, Leeds have not even beaten Manchester United. They've been pummeled 6-2. They've drawn 0-0. They lost 5-1 and 4-2. So, oof, if you're a Leeds fan, you probably are scratching your head thinking, we got no manager. Uh, we've had a really tough time in the Premier League against Manchester United. What are we going to do? Um, the last time that they even beat Man United in the Premier League was all the way back in 2002, and they got a 1-0 win. Um, well, a familiar face, familiar face will be taking care of Leeds United. Um, Chris Armas, who also happened to be at Manchester United a year ago, um, will be the caretaking manager for at least this game on Wednesday, guys. Steve, I mean, as a Leeds fan, <laughs> you have to be scared, but how do you think we're going to see this one play out? Um, I think you're going to see it play out with a Rashford goal and a Manchester United win. Um, yeah, it's at Manchester United. Um, you have the legendary coach who's coached Cristiano Ronaldo and Chris Armas at the helm for Leeds United. However, I don't think that'll be enough. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, for them to be New York Manchester Bulls, United. The famous uh, New York Red Bulls. <laughs> yeah, the famous New York Red Bulls uh, coach, Sorry, New so Jersey Red Bulls. That was fired from, that was fired from the MLS. Um, anyways, I think you know how I feel about this game. I think it'll be a United win. Leeds, good luck finding a coach. I don't know, but I think it's going to be a loss for Leeds United. Um, at the weekend, Brandon, I think I think this game coming up on Wednesday probably is pretty clear. They're going to have a really rough go at it. But they do have that reverse fixture, which is only coming up that Sunday, the 12th. Potentially with the chance of a new manager then at home, does that give them a little bit more hope going into that game? Or are they really in double trouble here this week? I think it definitely gives them more hope. You know, I don't know. I think when a coach leaves, you typically see uh, the team go and, and fight and play way better because they're not playing the same style or whatever it is. Um, but... This you don't want to play Manchester United right now. I don't think when you when you lose your manager, I'd, I it, it's it's hard to say that I, you would want to play Manchester United. Uh, so the first game being Leeds' first game without a manager being away at Manchester United on Wednesday, 
Yeah, that's that's a real tough matchup, especially with Chris Armis. I, I don't know if he's going to be able to get anywhere close to a result. Honestly, probably going to be a blowout. But the one at home that you just asked me about on Sunday, I, I think if they do get a new manager in, let's say Tuesday or Wednesday, he'll have two to three days of training with the club, with the squad, and that new manager bounce might hit. And I think Ellen Road will be behind him, obviously. Um, I think they have a higher chance of getting a result there, whether that's a win or a draw. I'm not entirely sure. Probably more likely a draw. But they need a win, to be honest. They need a win. Um, they are in a deep fight with relegation. And Everton, hello, just signed uh, Sean Dyche. So good luck uh, fighting that guy the rest of the season. You're probably going to lose. So hire somebody good and start getting results, I'd say. Do we know if there's any rumors of who they might be looking at, BPAP? Uh I don't know. This is Steven's, uh, Steven's guy. Steve, you have a guy. Oh, yeah. You know, my sources in West Bromwich Albion tell me that their manager, Carlos Corbeon, Corbeon, is projected as the favorite early on. Um, It's one of those firings to me that with Jesse Marsh, you don't expect Chris Armors to get a result against Manchester United, let alone your your new manager to get a result on Sunday. So... What this says to me is that you have to have a guy in mind. Um, these are two games that you got to win. You got to get some points. Um, and the expectation uh, being there against Manchester United, third best team in the Premier League as the table stands, has to be very minimum. So I'm almost on the side of, oh, if you're not going to give Jesse Marsh that extra game or two, um, you're picking a hell of a time to sack the manager and a hell of a time to hire one. So you hope if you're a Leeds fan that your front office knows who they're hiring after Jesse Marsh. Hmm. Yeah, I have, <laughs> I have no idea what they're doing over there at Leeds United. Um, Brandon, you guys, Aston Villa, that is, are taking on Manchester City who are coming fresh off a loss. Unfortunately, so are the villains. Um, but give us a bit of a preview of what we can expect from this matchup. Um, both teams looking to bounce back after recent losses. Yeah, yeah. You know, both teams have actually been playing pretty consistently. Um, I think Aston Villa had picked up the most points until this past weekend um, since the new year. Um, now it's Nottingham Forest. But um, Villa have not beaten Manchester City since they came back up to the Premier League in the 1920 season. Um, results have been 3-0, 6-1. Yeah, that was a bad game. Um, 2 nothing, <laughs> And then they start to get closer. And they actually, the games actually were better. 2-1, 2-1, 3-2, which it, you'll probably um, r- remember from yeah. the last game week uh, of last season. Um, and then our last... Championship Sunday. Yeah, one of uh, Gerard's last games, I want to say, against Manchester... Um, City, we tied 1-1. Holland did score. And I forget who scored ours. Maybe Ollie Watkins. I don't know. But Drew, and um, you know, I'll give my opinion real quick, and I'd like to hear yours. The Etihad is not really uh, known as a, a hard place to go and play, right? It's not going to – I don't think the crowd is going to be much of a factor. Honestly, it might hurt Manchester City if they start playing poorly again. Um, but – Pep's the best manager we've ever seen, so I think um, it's 
it's going to be hard to imagine Manchester City being flat and coming out flat at home. But it's this weird feeling I have, and you know, famous last words, but this is the only time I've ever felt Aston Villa could beat Manchester City. Um, with Unai Emery, again, getting the guys right and making us play so much better, um, I, I really think we can go to Manchester and beat them. Um, I will be betting on that game. That's not my lock for this week because the odds are plus a thousand for Aston Villa to win, which is crazy. First of all. Um, but it's like the first time ever since us being up, I was like, yeah, they're in a weird spot. Manchester city is and Aston Villa can definitely go get a result. So yeah. Um, that's how I feel about this game. Do you guys have any, any feelings? Well, I mean, I can share some sentiment with you. I mean, let's not forget what Villa did against one of those really amazing Liverpool sides, right? Was it a 7-2 result, I think it was? Um, So, yeah, I mean, anything can happen, especially at that point you're under Dean Smith. Like, why not improve under Unai Emery? Obviously, you're not going to beat – I mean, you could technically. But you're not going to beat Man City 7-2, especially a a pep side like this. But – Man City this week are just such a weird place. Uh, Pep Guardiola apparently in the past had mentioned how if something like this were to happen with Man City where they lied behind his back, that he would probably want to leave the club. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying that his head might not be where he needs to be for this game with everything that's going on around it. Um, that might include some of the players. I don't know. So, yeah, this could be the week where Man City is vulnerable to lose two games in a row. Uh, Unai Emery probably is going to keep that in mind of knowing that his club has the advantage here. Uh, like you said, it's not the hardest thing ever to go win that Eddie had. So why don't you go out? You almost did it at the end of the last season. You actually had, what, I think, a two-goal lead uh, strike early, and do you go to work there. Uh, Unai Emery can definitely coach these guys to a win at the Eddie had. It's just a matter of striking early, being confident that you can get the win prior to, and not just unexpectedly stumbling upon a win. Um, I'm not saying it's impossible, um, but again, you have the talent, you have the players, and it might be the right time to strike with a Man City team like this right now. Steve, do you share the same confidence that we do? Yeah, here's the thing with Aston Villa and Manchester City. Um, I remember waking up on New Year's Day and Villa dispatching Spurs 2-0. This City team does not look good. I don't know what to believe anymore. We just saw Everton beat Arsenal. Sure, Aston Villa can beat Manchester City. I'm not surprised. Like, I will be a little bit. There's obviously a favorite and an underdog. Um, but Villa looks good. Villa looks very good under Unai Emery. Um, and City looks vulnerable. But, right, when I say that, Holland could score five goals the next game. Um, so... <laughs> I, I will say this. I think it serves Aston Villa well to get, uh, Brandon, correct me if I'm wrong, their first league loss, maybe second league loss under Unai Emery. Um, second, yeah. Second, Heading into a yeah. big game against Manchester City uh, to get the boys right, obviously, is the sentiment that um, Unai wants the the squad to have going up against the champions, which I wouldn't be surprised uh, if... He translates that to them, and they play at a higher level. So um, look for this game to be a very tantalizing game. I will be tuning in. I'm really excited. 
We certainly will be. And there's a Marseyside derby this week. Liverpool and Everton, those very close neighbors, red versus blue. Sean Dyche looking to continue the fight for survival as the Toffees look for a result at Anfield. And even if you talk about the Reds at Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp, he's on year seven. He has a pattern. Year seven sort of might be the last time he's a manager at these different clubs. We've seen it with Dortmund and the club he was with before. I can't remember off the top of my head. Point being, anything can happen in this derby. Uh, Sean Dyche might be able to coach up Everton to a result. They drew the last time at Goodison Park back in September. Um, Liverpool, they actually lost 3-0 to Wolves last time out. So is it time to change things up in the team sheet? Or is kind of the thrill of the derby enough to get a reaction out of the current squad, Brandon? Um, Is Jurgen Klopp just got to kind of roll the dice and see what happens this go-around? Yeah, no, I think he, he might lean on the crowd a little bit. Uh, I wonder how the crowd's going to react. They're very supportive, obviously, great crowd. But uh, them playing so poorly, I think it's it, it might get ugly. I don't know if Liverpool, if they have a history of turning on their teams. But, um, no, I think Liverpool will be up for it. This big, big, big game um, with Daishi coming to town. I I don't know. I, I really I think Liverpool will win um, and sort of put Everton to, to rest there. Um, but I really don't know. Liverpool looked awful this past weekend. And I think Everton's better than Wolves. I think. I don't know. But, like, could be. So it's it, it's weird. But I, I think... Um, I think those Liverpool fans will, will help out a lot. It'll be loud in there. So, yeah. Steve, I mean... You have a Merseyside derby coming at the right time. Does this just add fuel to the firestorm that Sean Dyche is trying to bring to this relegation battle for Everton? Yeah, I mean, that's the question, right? It's This is a huge game for both clubs, obviously, for very different reasons. Um, with the current timestamp of one team trying to stay up in the top flight, the other trying to find some sort of form and get some positive vibes going on. Um I think this swings in, oddly enough, obviously Anfield's a fortress, the, the great support. Um, yeah, I think you're just coming off a win against Arsenal. If you're Everton, you're playing for the draw. That's a win for you. And I think they can get it done. I, I definitely think they can draw Liverpool away. I don't know why I think that, if I'm drinking the Kool-Aid of the one match against Arsenal. But I think they can, because... It's very different when you're expecting to take three points um, away against a top club, which, mind you, they already did at home last week. Um, then going away to a team that's struggling for form, and hey, guys, let's get a result. Let's fight for each other, um, and maybe we can come up with a goal and get the win. Uh, but I, I like Everton in this matchup. Maybe not for the win. I still think Liverpool are favorites, but um, it's always safer in easier to bet on a draw than an out-and-out win. So um, those are my feelings on this. I think Everton is having maybe this perfect storm to come up to take four points away from Liverpool and Arsenal under Sean Dyche's first two games, which is a masterclass if that comes to fruition. Yeah, it definitely would be. And I'm not saying his job is in trouble, but I'm saying that if Liverpool get beaten at Anfield... Um, there's going to be a lot of questions starting to be asked. If not, if they haven't already started, uh, I don't think Liverpool would 
they'd have to be very dumb. Let's just say they lost to start to begin to think of replacing Jurgen Klopp. They still have Champions League football to play for. Um, there's still a lot of talent left in this team. But there are some things that they really, really need to iron out. Otherwise, they might be missing out on European football for the first time in a long time. So it is definitely a match to keep your eyes on. Probably the game of the week as far as uh, things go in our eyes. Um, so yeah, lots of questions. Lots of storylines that will certainly come out of it. So keep your eyes peeled to that one. Well, around the world, as we like to do, we will take you to places that aren't in the Premier League or the Champions League. And we see that the FA Cup play replays are this week. We have Burnley and Ipswich Town, Sheffield United and Wrexham, Sunderland and Fulham all to play for more this week. Burnley, they're the ones that are leading the championship right now. Uh, we thought they were going to be certain favorites to outright win in that first leg. Um, so we'll be really interested to see when that one. Uh, but Sheffield United and Wrexham, this is the the Cinderella story, the fairy tale that everyone is talking about. And it relates to Steve and I because the winner of this game actually plays Tottenham in the next round of the FA Cup. Uh, guys, we talked a little bit about it last week. Are we just fingers crossed it's Wrexham? We want to see this happen, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, I, like I mean, I... Yeah, I'd love to see Wrexham Spurs, uh, Ryan Reynolds versus John Cena. Um, it would be wonderful. Uh, John Cena's a Spurs supporter, in case y'all didn't know. Um, but yeah, I I don't think it'll happen, uh, mainly because it's at Sheffield United on the replay. But who knows? I, I'm never going to doubt Deadpool or the Always Sunny crew, so who knows? Did they miss their shot, Brandon, when they didn't get it done the first time? I think they did. Yeah, Sheffield United's a good team. Um, they again, they will be coming up the, to the Premier League next year. So uh, I don't think Sheffield United will be will be messing around much. I think they'll they'll do the job. <sighs> what a sad sad ending if that's really the case. I mean, it's been so fun thus far. I'm sure in season two of the documentary we'll get to see how it all unfolded behind the scenes. But fingers crossed, we want to see the matchup between Tottenham and Wrexham. I know for sure. Sunderland Till I Die is the other famous documentary. Sunderland, they have their shot against Fulham in the FA Cup to advance. We'll see if Fulham are prioritizing their Premier League place over a run in the FA Cup. Those first two games are on February 7th. The next one, Sunderland-Fulham, is on February 8th. So if you're in the FA Cup, make sure to tune in to those. The FIFA Club World Cup is going on as well. It just began. We talked about our MLS side, the Seattle Sounders. They were the first club from the United States to actually play in this tournament, and they lost 1-0 on a late goal. Al-Ali, they are the ones that move on to face Real Madrid in the semifinal of the tournament. Uh, the Brazil side, Flamingo, many people know about, uh, play against Al-Hala today when this is being released. Um, so make sure to let us know what happened in that game. I'm sure we'll give you an update in the next episode. And then the Egyptian side take on the champions of Europe, Los Blancos, in that next matchup. So keep your eyes peeled on the Club World Cup. Always a fun little tournament that is going on. But more important, importantly in our eyes is the return of the Champions. Champions League kicks back on Valentine's Day. So football is love, football is life. I know I won't be having anything going on Valentine's Day, so I'll definitely be watching some soccer um, we have some awesome, awesome matchups in this round of 16. 
Bayern Munich and PSG is probably the biggest matchup going on. These two teams met in that 2020 Champions League final. Uh, some really, really talented players on both sides. I think Kylian Mbappe is injured, if I'm not mistaken, so I don't know if he'll be playing or not. Uh, we'll definitely need to get an update on that. Tottenham and AC Milan, my team today, and Steven's team, as he is a traitor. Um, just kidding. It's all good. Uh, that's going to be an interesting matchup to see. Um, Antonio Conte should still be out with his gallbladder surgery, so Christian Stellini should probably be heading up Tottenham in that one. And then Club Bruges, who actually went on a Champions League run last season, take on an Enzo Fernandez list, Benfica, and then a club with a lot of question marks surrounding it, Chelsea. They have to go to Dortmund uh, to go play the team in yellow and black. Uh, guys, for you, I mean, we love Champions League football. I know you're going to say Bayern and PSG, but what is most intriguing about this round of 16 um, and specifically these matchups? I think um, the fact that two of the favorites play each other in the first knockout round is is really exciting. Um, so definitely all eyes will be on that Bayern-PSG game. Um, and I honestly couldn't be more excited. But also Club Rouge and Benfica. Um, Benfica, you expect to do pretty well. Club Rouge, again, you don't, you don't expect to do that well in the Champions League. The fact that they both played really well up until this point, they're playing each other in the round of 16, that's also going to be an amazing game, so... Steve, what's what's catching your eye in these matchups? I mean, the the answer is Bayern PSG, um, but I don't know. I'll say Dortmund, Dortmund and Chelsea. That's very interesting to me. Dortmund's looked like a a wild team uh, domestically in the Bundesliga. Their most recent games are looking like four three and these last minute winners and heroics and all this craziness. So I'm curious to see. Um, Kind of an understudy to Bayern. I I'd love to see Dortmund go further in this in this tournament. I think they have a very real chance against Chelsea right now. That just seems anything but to have an identity. Uh, so I think this is a big opportunity for Dortmund. Uh, not a really team that we talk about at this um, tournament because uh, they don't go that far. So hopefully they dispatch Chelsea. Um, because, I mean, there's only one team in London, let's be real. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I, I think Dortmund could dispatch Chelsea, which I think would be a very big deal um, out of these ties, at least. If if Dortmund dispatched Chelsea, it's ask more questions out of Chelsea. And, yeah, it would be awesome to see Dortmund in the yellow wall um, advance to the quarterfinals. It would be awesome. Yeah, it will be. And I'm trying to remember, did I make up the whole Club Bruce thing? I don't remember exactly. My point being, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what Tottenham does with the Champions League. I think in their next eight or so matchups in the Premier League are mostly against lower half sides. So that's a chance for them to really pick up points in the Premier League. But as we know, it is not easy to be fighting on two fronts. So really curious how they come out against AC Milan. This is certainly a team that you can beat, right? Um, you have now some added depth, like you just brought in Pedro Poro and Dan Juma. So you have no excuses. This is probably a good opportunity, Stephen, to get your wish of having Richarlison play. Um, so, again, I really do hope that Tottenham can get off on the right foot in this first leg of the round of 16. Um, it's going to be interesting to see who they do put out there, though. Uh, maybe Richarlison gets to start over Harry Kane and or if um, Sonny. So... Really excited to see how it all unfolds on Valentine's Day. 
if you don't have chocolate, well, go ahead and tune in on to Champions League football. Well, on the women's side of the game, we do want to begin to highlight that this is a World Cup year for the women, and the She Believes Cup kicks off next week on February 16th with the United States, Japan, Brazil, and Canada vying for a trophy before the trophy, the World Cup, which kicks off in July. Um, so something to think about, there's a new coach, Latko Andonovsky has only achieved a bronze medal in the 2020 Olympics. Um, so really not a whole lot of history yet. Um, but the U.S. have recently uh, gone on a run of form of 3-3 three and three in their last six, entering the tournament next week. So some things to figure out. They looked really good against New Zealand. New Zealand's not a very strong side. Uh, they will be hosting the World Cup alongside Australia. But, um, you know, Mallory Swanson has looked really good in those games, um, scoring some good goals. And this is a U.S. team that we know is capable of you know, putting teams away, just burying them in goals. Um, so if they want to have the chance to win a trophy before the big one, uh, the She Believes Cup will certainly be in their favor. Um, but Japan, no no slouches. Brazil, no slouches. Canada, solid side. So it's not a throwaway tournament. You definitely want to um, be watching it if you have the time. And let's hope the United States can get another trophy to add to their case. Uh, well, in our final segment, we always like to land on you betcha our opportunity to give some locks on the week going into the big games. Uh, goes without saying, we're not, we're not any kind of crazy better. We're amateurs, so don't take this as betting advice. These are our opinions of what we think will go down. Steven, you're going to get us started on your locks for the week for you betcha. Yeah, you know, I've been debating on which game I'm going to go with, and I'm going to take a note from Brandon, bet for um, the team I support, and Tottenham against Leicester City. The money line odds are plus 110 for a Tottenham victory. Um, the main reason I'm honestly picking this matchup is Hurricanes' most goals scored in the Premier League against a particular opponent happens to be Leicester um, at the top of the list. Mm. The man likes scoring against Leicester. Um, the odds being at plus 110 for Tottenham to win against Leicester, the little bit further down on the table look good to me. I think Tottenham's looking to run that momentum. So yeah, I'm going Coys all day. Uh, go ahead and lock it in. I love it. Brandon. Yeah, I think I'm gonna bet on the Palace Brighton game. Uh, since 2019, these teams have drawn one, one, four times um that's that's <laughs> yeah yeah that's mm -hmm. um so palace's bad form does have to end somewhere and though i don't think they'll get a win against brighton because brighton is so good they are that team mm -hmm. um i think they will get a draw and their history supports me so it's plus 240 for a draw in this game and i'm going to lock that in well, speaking of history, you're going to want to get your his history books out for this one. I'm going for the Arsenal-Brentford game, Arsenal hosting Brentford. Um, I'm going for a draw. Those odds are at plus 390. And if you go all the way back to October 12, 1946, that was the last time these two teams drew. Um, so they're, they're due. They're due at this point, right? Um, yeah, I think that, you know, we remember Brighton, or sorry, Brentford, their first game back in the Premier League was actually a win against Arsenal. Arsenal have won the other matchups they've had since then. Um, but I think Brentford is a really good team. I think they've sit seventh in the table right now. 
Um, Arsenal coming off of that loss against Everton. I think Brentford has a solid shot at getting a draw, and that's what's going to be my lock-in for this week. Uh, counting on the Bees to get it done at the Emirates. We'll have to see how that one plays out. Well, that means we have reached the conclusion of yet another episode of the Supporter Section. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed our time together. We talked about so many crazy things today, whether it was the Man City situation, uh, getting excited for Champions League football. Uh, we really do hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, leave a like, leave a comment, uh, subscribe if you have not already. Um, but we're going to sign off for myself, Cole Carter, Brandon Patesnick, and Stephen Curl. Enjoy another Loaded Week of Football. If you don't see us, enjoy your Valentine's Day. And we'll see you guys next time. Until then, peace out.